Hey, I have a slide I want to put on right off the bat. It's discipleship process. This is all of us. Everybody in this room, here we are. Uh, either we're without Christ, other, other, on the far, um, far left over here, spiritually dead, um, and none of us should be there. God desires mercy and grace for every person everywhere. Jesus came, died on the cross, said he died for our sins, so forth. Put our faith in him. We're filled with his Holy Spirit, promise of eternal life. Um, we're getting a little buzz, aren't we? It might, maybe this needs to come out a little further. Is that better? Okay. Sorry if I was annoying you. <laughs> so Jesus came to seek and save the... We're all lost until we find the love of God. And then we find our identity. We're his children who he loves. And we're honest about our sin. We don't hide or deny it. We say, I'm a sinner, God. I need you. And God forgives us. And, um, and then what are we then? Well, then we're born again. Our spirits are born again. And we're infants. We're babies in God. We don't even know how to feed ourselves yet. Can't wipe our bottoms yet. It's a, it's a infant needs guidance. And so we're brand new. We've experienced what God loves me. God's my dad. Jesus died for me. That's great news. We need people to support us. And if you're a baby Christian, get with those who you see are mature Christians. And how are they mature Christians? You see it in their love and their commitment to the truth of God and living for God. And they prioritize the Bible and what the Bible says. And, and we start growing, and then we're self-focused. We're a spiritual child. And um, so it's a lot about me, myself. Um, we're learning. We still need a lot of guidance, a lot of correction. Actually, at all years of our life, we need to be open to correction. But the goal at Life Church, and for our community of believers from this south-central Wisconsin area, is that we're progressing. We don't stay a baby the whole time. We are growing in the Lord. And so many of us, we get to stage infant, born again, or spiritual child, and then we never progress in the Lord. And he has so much favor and so much, um, uh, so many things to reveal revelation for us, power of his Holy Spirit for us to grow into. And some of us, we've studied, some of us have gone to Bible college and we think, okay, now I, I've arrived. No. No, I, it encourages me when I hear Pastor Bob almost every day saying, oh, he learned something new out of the Bible. After, after 93 years of being alive, he said. <laughs> That's right. But this is just a picture. Why do we have life groups or family night and church and awake and stuff? Because we want to progress. Why are we trying to be intentional with one another? You guys are being intentional in each other's lives. God puts another family on your heart. You reach out to them. You bless them. You pray for them. We are nurturing one another and helping one another grow in the Lord. Encouraging one another. So that's, that's the family of God all over the world. We're growing in the Lord, helping one another grow and mature. And eventually, you know, make disciples. Helping other people learn and grow to know the Lord, and making disciples who make disciples and so forth. I want to invite uh, uh, 
welcome those of you who are joining us online. Thank you for joining us. And then uh, for the rest of us, we have notes here. We're going to be continuing in the book of John today. And today, <clears throat> today's talk is entitled Controlling God. I don't know if you've tried to control God before, and what success you've had in that matter. John chapter 2, verses 1 through 12, we will begin. The next day, there was a wedding celebration in the village of Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples were also invited to the celebration. We'll pause there. So... Prior to this, Jesus had been um, down south in uh, Judea, and um, even, even further down than this map shows, um, closer to the Dead Sea in Israel. Jordan River, he was baptized by John the Baptist. Um, he was down there for a, a period of time. And then he said, and actually the prior chapter, John chapter 1, verse 43, it says that he wanted to go back to uh, Galilee. And that's a three-day journey, um, and so they started that, that route. And at this point in time, it says that in Cana, um, there's a wedding celebration going on in Cana, which is just, just left there of the Sea of Galilee. Uh, sea of Galilee today, um, it's often called Sea of Tiberias or, or Sea of Canet. Uh, um, uh, it was also known in Luke. Luke refers to it as uh, Gennesaret. Uh, Kinneret is, is Lake of Kinneret, Lake of Tiberias, oftentimes referred to as Sea of Galilee, still is today, and, uh, and was in, the, in many of the scriptures as well. So there's Cana, and then Jesus, of course, was born in Nazareth, which is just about seven miles south of that. You see Nazareth, just seven miles south of Cana. So this is his neck of the woods. This is where Jesus grew up, and um, he's invited to a wedding. Uh, Jewish weddings, first century, wedding feast was given by the groom's family, which could last a week or more. So not just the rehearsal dinner, or not just the wedding, but a week long of hosting, oftentimes the entire village. So <clears throat> the entire village was usually invited to the wedding. So that's a hefty, uh, that's a hefty responsibility <clears throat> for the parents there, first century. Um, so Jesus went... Uh, his disciples, I don't know if they were formally called disciples yet, but the ones that would become his disciples and were, they were there. A lot of them were there. His brothers were there. His mom was there at this um, wedding. So we just read a few lines there. And if, we'd never had, if we had not yet read the rest of the story, we think to ourselves, what's going to happen? Okay, he's in Cana. There's a wedding feast. He's there, some of his disciples are there, his mom's there. Okay, next. What's next? What's going to happen? Number one, what's going to happen? And this person, this is like my kids. I have no idea what's going to happen. I love it. They wake up, and they're so excited about the day. Uh, maybe some of us look like this. Do you know what's going to happen? Oh, no, what's going to happen today? We have a shadow or a fear. What's going to happen next? That's no way to live. Um, I was uh, wrapping up work on Friday night and, uh, and getting home and got home. And I didn't know that my, 
two-year-old was going to burn three of her little fingers. She's okay. She's fine. She burned three of her fingers on the, the burner after a pan had been taken away, and she just pushed the chair right over, got up, touched the, touched the burner there. So Cassie got her all fixed up, some burn cream, a Band-Aid on each finger there. I didn't know that was going to happen on Friday night when I got home. And then we went to the football game, Mount Horeb against uh, Mount Horeb Barneville versus Monroe Cheesemakers. Cheesemakers were, I think, the defending state champs, and, um, and we just crushed them on Friday night, which was fantastic. And, and, uh, and I, I was there, uh, I saw quite a few, of, a lot of you there, um, and I saw and I heard the weather app said, no chance of rain. <laughs> and so a thousand people, I don't know what the attendance is over there, there's a lot of people there, um, we're sitting, and right after halftime, the third quarter starts, and so does the rain, just pours down. Pours down. So I have, <clears throat> close to me, I have a mom with a baby, and I have another mom with a baby, and another mom with a baby, and they're all trying to cover their babies and get their, and the babies are screaming. They're trying to get out. It's like a 13-hour walk to the car. <laughs> so we all survived. <clears throat> I didn't know that was going to happen. I didn't know that was going to happen. We just don't know what's going to happen. When we leave church today, we think we might know we have a plan, a calendar. We just don't know what's going to happen. Good or bad, bad or good. Sometimes when my kids pray, um, I ask my kids to pray for the day, and and usually the prayer goes like this. Dear God, help it to be a good day today. Translation, help there not to be a lot of chores Help us to have a lot of free time and candy, and is that what that means? That's that I read, reading between the lines. Help us, Lord. Help life to be easy for us today. There's this um, <clears throat> a gentleman that wrote, um, Oh, little town of Bethlehem, that guy, <clears throat> Philip Brooks, and he was writing on prayer. He was a pastor. Uh, 1865, he visited Bethlehem. Anyway, he writes this about prayer. He says, do not pray for easy lives. Pray to be stronger men. Do not pray for tasks equal to your powers. Pray for powers equal to your tasks. Then the doing of your work shall be no miracle, but you shall be the miracle. The idea that God working through you, God's power, God's spirit, equipping and enabling and doing what we could not do in the flesh. And we don't know what a day will bring, but we can be rooted in God's word. We can be filled with his spirit ahead of time so that whatever may befall us, we glorify the Father and our reactions are reactions of faith. They're faith reactions. Faith in God. Faith in his track record. Faith in his promises. So this is the setup. This is the preface here. And John's telling us, John chapter 2, this is where Jesus went. This is what was going on. What's going to happen? Verse number three, the wine supply ran out during the festivities. So Jesus's mother told him they have no more wine. So the groom's family, and actually, can you guys jump way ahead real quick? I have a, um, on the slides, you're going to jump ahead like 20 slides here to the disclaimer. Disclaimer one, disclaimer two. And just before this story, I want to give a disclaimer as far as the whole of Scripture, giving us some context. Um, Ephesians 5.18, don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. God doesn't want us to ruin our life. Instead, be filled 
with the Holy Spirit. You want to overdrink on something? You want to indulge? Indulge in the Holy Spirit. And that's what we were doing just during worship, just making ourselves available, inviting him to speak to our minds and our hearts and the changes from the inside out, just communing with the God, communing with him, basking in his love, finding ourselves in his love and being empowered by that. Uh, wine produces, Proverbs 1, or 20, verse 1, produces mockers. Alcohol leads to brawls. Those who led, are led astray by drink cannot be wise. You don't want to be led astray. Proverbs 23, 29, don't gaze at wine. Don't gaze at it. In the end, it bites like poisonous snake. Um, just a lot of context for us here. Dozens of scriptures alluding to the matter of alcohol, strong drink, compa- compared with mixed drink or diluted drinks and Talks about always moderation, oftentimes abstaining altogether. There's uh, the Nazarite vow. A lot of people would just abstain altogether. Uh, for kings, for leadership, we read in Proverbs, um, King Lemuel, his mother said uh, this. said, it's not for kings, O Lemuel. It's not for kings to drink wine, nor for princes intoxicating drink, lest they drink and forget the law and pervert justice of all the afflicted. So just some context there. And... Um, but here, here's a wedding, and, um, and uh, we're jumping in. The, the wine runs out, and Mary says they have no wine. They have no wine. So is that, is that they have no wine? Is that loaded statement? Is that a manipulative statement? Is that a pressure-filled? Is that a... Jesus, I changed your diapers, 800 of them, and I nursed you, and, and they have no wine. Or it's, Jesus, God told me that you were going to be the Savior of the world, that you came, you're going to be the Savior, the Messiah, the promised Messiah, and you're 30 years old now, and they have no wine. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, and actually, I do know, because the, the, the next scripture will give us some context. But um, probably quite embarrassing. It could be embarrassing for the family that's hosting. They, they run out of wine. Uh, it could be that wine was often added to the water for purification purposes. Water wasn't always great to drink, but that would, that would help purify the water. Um, whatever is going on, Jesus' mother is approaching him and telling him that they have no more wine. Maybe she just wants him and some of his, um, his uh, servants, or dis- not servants, disciples there to go to the next town and purchase some and kind of save the day, or she wants him to kind of promote himself or elevate himself or maybe make himself, I think, make himself known as the Messiah. And Jesus responds, uh, and I, before we even get to that, number two, what are my expectations of God? What are your expectations of God? Sometimes we're going through life and um, different circumstances, situations, um, tragedies, and we think God should act in a certain way. And it makes sense to us that if he was good and if he was powerful, he would act in a certain way and in the timing that we think he should act in. And then it doesn't happen and he doesn't act in the way we think he should or in the time that we think he should and the way, and it causes hurt in us. Because we've had a false expectation 
We've had an expectation of God that he should do such and such in such a manner, in such a way, at such a time. And then we can become resentful or bitter against God. And angry. And so, um, why don't you come to my rescue, God? Why do you allow bad things to happen to poor and helpless people? I think in Mary's mind, it only made sense that Jesus should do what she thinks he should do. Right? It makes sense in her mind that he should do what she thinks he should do. And same with you and I. God should do what I think he should do. Number three, God is not subservient to me. And this is John 2, verses 4 through 5. Dear woman, that's not our problem, Jesus replied. My time has not yet come. His mother told the servants, do whatever he tells you. Do whatever he tells you. Dear woman, so this isn't the Western, woman, stop. It's not that. Um, the, the word that's used there is a word to de- denote respect of a peer or an elder. And so, um, not derogatory in any sense, customary way, respectful way. What does your concern have to do with me? Or that, that is not our problem, he says to her. So newsflash, I think Jesus was fully prepared and, and ready to do to intercede even in this moment. But it wasn't because Mary was pressuring him or because she was manipulating him. It's because he heard from the Lord and he was obedient to the Spirit of God. And so he was going to act and he was going to do something, but it wasn't because it wasn't in the way that she thought he should or would, and not because she said that he should or could or would. Um, He was making clear some healthy boundaries that were in place Things would be done for the right reasons, in the right ways, at the right time, at God's direction. So, um, God is not subservient to me. God doesn't owe me. God is not my slave. God doesn't do something just because I think it makes sense. No. He sees a much bigger picture. And eternity is in his hand. And he's more than capable of compensating for everything and anything in eternity. Over and above, what we see as unfair or not right. Yeah, he's not bound by time, 70 years on earth. Certainly not. Um, He says this, he says, My hour has not yet come. My time has not yet come. My time has not yet come. What is he talking about? Something very specific. Something very, very specific in case he says this often throughout his ministry. My time has not yet come. Even when doing lots of miracles, my time has not yet come. Look at this. John 3, 7 through 10. So this is, this is sometime later in Jesus' ministry. And it says, His brothers therefore said to him, Depart from here and go into Judea, back down south, that's where Jerusalem is, that your disciples also may see the works that you're doing. For no one does anything in secret while he himself seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. For even his brothers did not believe in him. Then Jesus said to them, my time has not yet come. 
but your time is always ready. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify of it that its works are evil. You go up to the feast. And he says up, so it's down south, but it's actually a rise in elevation. So you're going to Jerusalem, you're going up. So you go up to the feast. I'm not going up to the feast, for my time has not yet fully come. When he said these things to them, he remained in Galilee. But when his brothers had gone up, then he went also up to the feast. Not openly, not in the manner that they wanted him to, and not when he, they wanted him to. But he did end up going there for other reasons, to accomplish other things, as it were, in secret. So, um, Jesus was not to be king of Israel yet. He was not to be seen and known in his full glory yet. It wasn't even time for him to yet die for the sins of the world. So his time had not yet come. John 7, 30, just a few more verses on my time has not yet come. The leaders tried to arrest him, but no one laid a hand on him because his time had not yet come. John 8, 20, these words Jesus spoke in the treasury, he taught in the temple, and no one laid a hand on him for his hour had not yet come. Jesus answered them saying, the hour is come, is drawing near, that the Son of Man should be glorified, John 12. John 13, now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. He said this to his disciples, um, Indeed, the hour is coming, yes, now has come, that you will be scattered, each to his own, and you will leave me alone, yet I am not alone because the Father is with me. Last one of these. Others more. The last one I'll share with you. Jesus spoke these words, lifting up his eyes to heaven. He said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son might also glorify you. You've given him authority over all flesh, and he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I've glorified you on earth. I've finished the work that you've given me to do. And now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. He died on the cross. His last words were, it is finished. That was the hour. So, so Mary's saying, hey, save the world. Now's the time to save the world. Then no, my time hasn't come yet. He was in line with God's timetable and in God's way. Uh, <clears throat> just one other, one other incident. Well, lots of them in the in the New Testament. Remember when Lazarus was sick? Uh, if you've heard that story, Lazarus, dear friend of Jesus, was sick, and they, Mary and Martha, Lazarus's sisters, sent word to him: "Come, hurry! Your your friend Lazarus is sick, very sick. He doesn't come for a time." And then finally when he does come, they, they get news, you know, that Lazarus has died already, and Mary comes out, Lord, if you would have come, you could have saved him. You could have. Our brother would not have died. You could have helped. If you know the story, he raises Lazarus from the dead. So he's not constrained. Here's a picture um, <clears throat> Just maybe how some of you might feel. Uh, next, next slide. Next slide after that. There you go. And this is not God, and that's not you. But that might be God, and that might be you. 
as far as having some hurt and some expectations of God that were not met or weren't met in the way or in the time that you thought they could or should have been. And so there's kind of a God wanting, approaching you with love, but you resisting that or having a hard time accepting that. I don't know if any of you have young children, and sometimes they'll be resistant. Sometimes when they're in trouble. And then after they get in trouble, say, now hug dad. No way I'm not going to hug dad. Or they might hug like this. Put your arms around me. Let's squeeze me. Torture. I like to torture him. <laughs> you will love me. <laughs> no, I know it's good for them. <clears throat> it's healing for them to open up and to do that. Yeah, that's true. To, for the hardness, the hardness that builds up and the resentment and the bitterness. Say, oh God. Guys, it is a life-changing moment when you can let go of the expectations, the resentment, the bitterness against God. We're just tangenting a little bit, but this is a, this is a real thing. We choose to trust him even through difficulties that are before us. We look for his grace to carry us through. When we are weak, he is strong. His grace is sufficient for us. Some of the greatest tragedies in the Bible ended up being some of the most glorious, the way God used or renewed or or even to someone that was caught in that tragedy, and yet instead of hardening their heart, they yielded and surrendered and just allowed God's healing love to be in them, and they continue to follow and surrender. And what God is capable of doing. So powerful and wonderful. Um, so Mary says, I think she kind of catches herself and she kind of, okay, trying to control my son here. And she's like, um, whatever he says, do it, do what he says. He's, he's got the plan. If he wants you to do, if he's going to do something, just listen to him. I don't know if she had some authority at this wedding in Cana, um, or she was with some of the servants that were there. Um, but anyway, she says, or maybe she just wanted to find someone else to boss around. So she's like, whatever. No, probably not. <clears throat> not my way, but your way, Jesus. We continue John chapter 2, verses 6 through 8. Standing nearby were six stone water jars used for Jewish ceremonial washing. Each could hold 20 to 30 gallons. Wow, that's a lot. Jesus told the servants, fill the jars with water. When the jars had been filled, he said, now dip some out and take it to the master of ceremonies. So the servants followed his instructions. 20 to 30 gallons apiece, six jars, 120 to 180 gallons of water. And number four is God gives me simple steps. Here's the two steps that he gave the servants. He said, fill the jars with water. That's a doable step. I mean, it might take a couple hours. You have to fill them with some other pitchers and so forth. Um, But it's doable. Something they can do. And now the second command, 
dips them out and take it to the master of ceremonies. They can do that. I mean, you go like this, and then you go like this. Here you go. They can do that. Now, that second step might be more fearful because you're like, I'm giving him, he thinks he's getting wine, and I'm giving him water, and I'm a servant. I don't know what's be embarrassing for me, or I don't know. <laughs> Self-preservation. <clears throat> God is looking for trust and obedience. And as we go look at that discipleship process of infant, child, and we're growing in the Lord, we may grow intellectually, we may. We probably will as time goes on in some ways. We'll grow emotionally in, in some ways, and even health-wise, really. We start knowing God's principles for health. And financially, we, we could very well. We could grow in that manner. But, really, what we need to grow in is trust and obedience to the Lord. Grow in our relationship with him. And he wasn't asking them to do something super complicated or that they needed a degree for, and that's usually the case. That's why God oftentimes uses the foolish to confound the wise. Because he will use the willing and the trusting. And the obedient. And in this case, in this scenario, the servants do as, as he tells them to do. Um, think about that, though, just for, just for a second. When Moses led the children of Israel out of, uh, of slavery in Egypt, and they come to the Red Sea, and then they're, they're, the enemy is coming after them, so they're, they're trapped between the Red Sea and, and this army, the Egyptian army. God says to Moses, Exodus 14, 15 through 16, the Lord said to Moses, why do you cry out to me? Because Moses is like, oh, God, why'd you, you had me lead them out here, and now they're mad at me, my people are going to kill me here, or we're going to die. And, um, and God says, don't cry to me. Tell the children of Israel to go forward, but lift up your rod, stretch out your hand over the sea, and divide it. Now, divide the sea, that's pretty hard. I've never done that before. But the doable step is stretch out your hand. Stretch out your hand. Stretch out your hand over the, over the water, the, the rod. <clears throat> so that's what he did. That was Moses' part. Okay, I'm going to lift up the rod and the staff. Right? When Joshua, Moses' successor, takes over and they cross the Jordan River and they're coming into the promised land, the current land of Israel, um, land of Canaan, um, the first real test there was the city of Jericho. Huge city, walled city. And God gives Joshua this instruction uh, for the enemies that are there. You shall march around the city, all of your men of war. You shall go around the city once. This you shall do six days in a row. And seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. They had all those things. But the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets. Doable. Got to put on your walking shoes. That's doable. Wasn't, 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 um, wasn't a hard step. wasn't intellectually difficult. Just as straightforward. Did it make sense? Nope. Didn't make sense at all. Moses holding up his staff didn't make sense at all, but it was doable. And it was trusting. Wow. Um, <clears throat> John 2, we continue in our main passage, 9 through 12. And just before we do, what is God telling you to do that's doable? Maybe there's a big vision. In each of these 
scenarios, there's a big divide the water, right? You're going to conquer Jericho, right? These seem seemingly just almost impossible, probably impossible. But the, the suggestion, not the suggestion, the command was to do something simple in that direction. What has God called you to? What desire or passion has he put on your heart for the kingdom of God that you can take a step toward, you can be faithful with? You don't know how it's all going to pan out yet or how this victory is going to occur, but you know you can do something that God has called you to do with faith. Praise God. John 2, 9 through 12. When the master of the ceremonies tasted the water that was now wine, not knowing where it had come from, though, of course, the servants knew, and they got it out of the toilet. <laughs> no, they didn't. Just kidding. <clears throat> I should say that humor for my boys at home. I'm sorry. He called the bridegroom over. A host always serves the best wine first, he said. Then when everyone has had a lot to drink, he brings out the less expensive wine. But you've kept the best until now. This miraculous sign at Cana in Galilee was the first time Jesus revealed his glory. And his disciples believed in him. After the wedding, he went to Capernaum for a few days with his mother, brothers, and his disciples. Number five, God will work in his way and in his time. Yes, he will. We must believe it based on his track record, based on his word. Definitely. It's good that the servants obeyed Christ, and it is wonderful when we obey the Lord, despite our fears, despite what our eyes or feelings might tell us. It's wonderful. Wonderful for us. Here's Moses, so he lifts up the staff, and there goes the water. God does amazing things. Here's the priest, they blow the trumpet, they're marching around the city, and Jericho comes tumbling down. There's a story in the Bible about Naaman the leper. He's told by a prophet of God, hey, go dip in the Jordan River seven times, and you'll be healed. Doable. I can do that, I can wash myself. Naaman expected the prophet to tell him something hard to do, so he could earn God's favor, or he could manipulate the situation, and and he says, nah, go wash in the Jordan River, which is kind of a dirty river. And he, he does it. He dips six, seven times, and then he's cleansed of leprosy. Obedience to God always makes sense. Look at this. A Bible teacher, Donald Gray, I put it in writing, you could read with me. Donald Gray Barnhouse, he told the following story. A young son of a missionary couple in Zaire was playing in the yard. Suddenly, the voice of the boy's father rang out from the porch, Philip, obey me instantly. Drop to your stomach. Immediately, the youngster did as his father commanded, Now crawl toward me as fast as you can, the boy obeyed. Stand up and run to me. Philip responded, I like the background music, that's good. (laughs) Philip responded unquestionably and he ran to his father's arm. As the young boy turned to look at the tree by which he had been playing, he saw a large deadly snake hanging from one of the branches. At the first command of his father, Philip could have hesitated and asked, why do you want me to do that? Or he could have casually replied, in a minute, But his instant obedience without questioning saved his life. Boy, those commands did not make sense when we read the first paragraph. And so it is with the things of God and the ways of God. They're oftentimes understood only in the rearview mirror. 
God's instruction for us may not always make sense. So true. I'm glad Paul obeyed the Lord and took missionary journeys and that he wrote letters. I'm glad Peter went to see Cornelius, even though culture seemed to forbid that. I'm really glad when I see um, so many of you just being faithful to the Lord, even with circumstances and and obstacles and um, hurts. To see you being faithful to God encourages me, encourages so many other people. So wonderful to trust the Lord. And just as we end here, um, for some of you, and we're not going to go in here, just another level of application, those who have eyes to hear, ears to hear, eyes to see, ears to hear. Is there significance of this being the first miracle that Jesus did? Is there any significance to that? Some personal Bible study you guys can do. Significance of wine in the Bible? Something you guys can look at. I will say there was sufficient, more than sufficient wine for everyone there at the party, at the wedding. And there is sufficient grace and mercy in the blood of Christ that was shed for your sins for every person, more than enough for every person who will put their faith in him. Father God, I thank you for this morning. We thank you for this historical recording that happened in Cana about 2,000 years ago. And what a day that was, Lord. And the celebration continued. Lord, we want to grow in our trust of you, Lord. And we want to grow in our obedience to you. And we want to let go of control. We want to let go of resentment and bitterness. And we want to receive from you what you have for us and not put up an umbrella to block whatever you might desire to do in and through us. Lord, we need your Holy Spirit. We, we don't want to just know your Holy Spirit, be acquainted with him. We want to be filled with your leading. We want you to control our lives, not vice versa, because that won't happen. We want to be controlled by you. We want to be led by you, Lord. Help us, Lord. Our hearts need help. Mine too. Our hearts need help. Thank you, Lord, for Philippians 1.6. six says that you who began a good work in us is faithful to bring it unto completion until the return of Jesus Christ. That is awesome. Thank you, God, for being a faithful father to us, Lord. You really love us. We're grateful for your love. And even now, Lord, as we worship you for the next five minutes, Lord, five, ten minutes, Lord, oh, just work your, your, your healing into us and strength. In Jesus' name, amen.